How's everybody doing this morning? Welcome to Good Rolton Church. My name is Tim, and uh, we're glad to have you with us this morning. Um, what a change in weather we've had, and man, it's nice to, to be in September, you know? <laughs> Let's hope it's another July. I loved it. So, uh, a lot of things going on in the bulletin, if you have a bulletin. Uh, if your first time here, if it's your, if your first time you've ever been here, uh, well, uh, we want you to know we're glad you come Glad you're here. You're here at a great time because we're starting a new series today on Sermon on the Mount. And if you'd like to uh, listen to this lesson, you can listen to it online. I think we've got podcasts now, as well as you can get a, a free CD, CD uh, as a first-time guest of today's lesson, a free CD there in the Welcome Center. Okay. Uh, oh, my. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just come back from marriage retreat, man. And uh, what a time we had uh, Great weekend, great weekend, and in fact, uh, if you were, if you spoke at the marriage retreat, is there anybody here that spoke? I see Chris and Deb stand up. We want to see if you spoke at the marriage retreat. Come on, Kim. There they are. There was our speakers. Thank you. Yeah, uh, we we started off at uh, Forest Park. The, uh, today's uh, this uh, year's theme was uh, Meet Me in St. Louis and Meet Me at the Fair. Remember that song, Meet Me in St. Louis, Louis. Meet me at the fair. Yeah, my wife thought it was part of the baseball song. And uh, for years she thought it was part of the baseball song because it followed right on the heels of the baseball song. And I said, no, it's a separate song. And she started reading the words to me. And that's where we got the idea of a theme uh, for the weekend. We thought, why not just meet across the river in, in a city that's filled with so many things that are right under our noses. And then we got to thinking about, why not talk about uh, some things in marriage that are right under our noses. For example... This thing right here, how we talk to one another, and uh, also how we treat one another. Uh, we talked about kindness. Uh, Chris and uh, Debbie Weiler talked about communication, did a great job. We got to see who's on first from beginning to end, Abbott Costello, and it was awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> because one of us, is, I looked at Denise and go, you ever felt like that? She goes, all the time. And I go, Okay. And uh, and then uh, uh, Paul and Jenny Mariolas talked about kindness, and it was just great to see, you know, the two of them talk about this, and Paul talking out of weakness. It was just really cool as he was just sharing. And whereas Chris and Deb made us laugh and learn, uh, I felt uh, made me laugh and learn. I don't know how everybody else was, but I, with Paul and Jenny, it was more about thinking. Really thinking about things, you know. They had a great, they had a great picture of Jenny's view of kindness. Shows this couple, you know, with their backs to you, walking with the scripture at the bottom is beautiful. And he goes, "That's my idea of kindness." And then Paul goes, "Here's my my idea of kindness." And it's a Navy SEAL with tattoos and the black on, you know. And it's a passage where David says, "Lord, you've given me the strength to bend a bow of bronze." And I'm going. Oh, that's true. Right <laughs> there is Paul, you know. What a way to do that, you know. And then uh, we we got to, so we spent the whole day looking around St. Louis. Everybody went different places. Dirty dogs, I think it was somebody mentioned going there, have a hot dog or something. What a what a place. I don't know if I'd go there. But uh, <laughs> some people went to the zoo. Uh, the Dennis's went to Goodwill and rummaged through stuff. What a way to spend time as a couple, rummaging through things. That's a great idea, you know. And, and then uh, that night we was at the old spaghetti factory, and then we uh, capped it off with a devotional back at the hotel where um, uh, Chris and Desiree Potter and Bob and Janet Bader uh, shared a testimony during Mike and Kim's devotional that was just riveting, so powerful. And I'm, I'm trying to find a way to get... 
them to talk about it here. Uh, it would to talk about you know their their testimony to the church. It's that powerful. We didn't record any of it, and um, so if you want to know what they covered, any of these couples, just get with them, hook up, and they'll they'll be more than happy to to take an, uh, 30 minutes of your time is what they to an hour and and, and uh, have a good time looking at that stuff. Great stuff, great material, and I want to thank everybody for helping out uh, with that um, with with the marriage treat. In your bulletin are some other things that are coming up now. Now that the marriage treat's gone, that advertisement's brought us some more things. You know, it's left some room to, to talk about some other things. There's the, the root beer bash the campus is having for the first time at SIUE campus. Yeah. And there'll be students from LC and maybe SWIC and, 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 and of course, SIUE will be meeting for the first time. You say, why didn't we have it before? Well, we called it a root beer kager, and they got nervous about it. I never have understood that. You know, they, they talk about passing out condoms over at SIUE, but they don't, they have a problem with Kager. I just like, okay, whatever. And so we've been, we've been kind of butting heads with SIUE, the upper management there, the dean and others, about this term Kager. And so Nathan said, we're just going to change the name so we can have it on campus. Well, what are you going to call it? And they came up with Root Beer Bash. And I thought, great, you know, why not? And so we're having it on the campus for the first time, guys. And so be, you might say, what can I do to help out? Well, you can do a couple of things. If you'd like to help volunteer uh, and come help with, with the, with the uh, bash, almost said Kager. If you want to help with that, you just come, and, and uh, we'd love to have some people to help uh, volunteer, serve, and do things. That way the campus can focus on uh, meeting uh, the, the people that come there, the, the campus, other campus students that come. The other thing you can do is uh, you can donate some money if you'd like to earmark, you know, an extra little bit of contribution and just say to the campus, they need some help funding that. And one of the other ways you can do it is if you just go buy a T-shirt out at the, out the, at the uh, small dome there in the corner, you'll notice there's some T-shirts that say Brave on them. And that was the theme for the campus retreat uh, last weekend. And they are... They are, are uh, they're coming to the campuses that, we, that we're on with courage, with the courage of God. And so we talked about how to be brave. Uh, the, the, everybody's lesson was so, uh, I thought, appropriate. And Nathan said, I want you to talk about fear, Dad. I go, I can understand why. So, so, uh, so we talked, I talked about fear. And uh, the rest of the time they talked about courage. And it was very powerful. And if you want to help out, it's 10 bucks uh, for a T-shirt. Uh, good cause. I think five bucks goes to uh, helping with the bash. Also, you're going to notice um, there's a seminar coming up September the 20th, and I can't say it enough. I'd like to encourage you to come to this seminar. It's it's for everybody in this room, you know, especially if you're a member here at Greater Alton. We're looking at why do we meet on Sundays? What are we all about? You know, a lot of people say, man, you're a friendly church. Well, that's not natural. It's on purpose. We want to be a place where people... Guys, one of the reasons people leave churches is because they don't feel accepted. They don't feel accepted. And, you know, it doesn't mean that you, that you uh, affirm and, and, you, and you approve of everything that a person does. It's not what it's about. But people need to know that the love of God, and they find that by being accepted where they're at, loved where they're at, but loved enough to not keep them there, but to help them become more and more like Christ. And that's what we're about here at Greater Alton. That's what we really want to be. We want to be a church like that. And so there's a few other things I think in the bulletin uh, you can look at. I think Joe McKenzie was telling me that the, um, let's see, there's a Krispy Kreme, uh, they're selling Krispy Kreme donuts on the 27th. He wanted me to personally tell you that, hey, could you uh, sign up 
uh, to help out. You know, not just our teens are going to be doing this. This is helping our teen, our teen ministry make all their events affordable. That's what it does. It, it gets the cost down to where it makes it affordable. But they could sure use some adult help. And Joe is a little nervous. He says, you know, Tim, the number of locations will be determined by how many that sign up. If only two sign up, we're going to have one location and one long day of selling donuts. So if you can help out, just maybe a couple hours. Say, sign up and say, hey, I'll come and help you for a couple hours. And it's again, it's to help our teenagers make the cost of their events more affordable for families. All right? Okay, one last announcement. Angela Mitchell, she got married... Stand up, stand up. Show everybody you got a ring. Woo-hoo! <laughs> I think that's so exciting. James, James is coming in, you know, just grinning like this. And here comes Angela right behind her. What's, what's going on? And she goes, look, I got married. And I want to tell you something, guys. You know, she's, she knows this. And some of our couples know what I'm going to say. Repentance is refreshing. That's all I'm going to say. It's re- it, the Bible says that. When you repent, it's refreshing. And she, I just, I'm so happy for you. I think it's so exciting. And so congratulations, Mrs. Mitchell. <laughs> okay, we're in a... We're in a I, I know I've forgotten something, but let's keep going on here. You know, I come back from marriage retreat and I'm all messed up. All right. We're in, a mar- we're in a series, almost said a marriage series. We're in a series of lessons called Living Like a King. And when you think about living like a king, what comes to your mind? You know, I think of, don't you? Laying there on all them pillows. Couple of women. You know, and the grapes, you know, and, and all I got to do is go, and here comes somebody else to serve me. You know, living like a king. That's what you, you know, living the dream. <laughs> yeah, and for most of us, that is just a dream. <laughs> I mean, it's not <laughs> but, you know, Jesus was the king of kings. And the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to be looking at this for the next several weeks, is the words, it's the sermon, the best sermon ever of the King of Kings. And it's the secrets on how to live like a king, on how to live like Jesus. He came to this world, in fact, he said he was born to do this very thing, is to share with you and I, to share with mankind what matters to him. It's been said that the Sermon on the Mount, and this is found in Matthew 5 through 7, and a little bit of it's found in Luke 6. It's been said that the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount had, was the core teachings of Christ. By the way, they weren't just one sermon, but a series of sermons. Jesus believed in preaching in series. And, and what's interesting is that it's believed by most scholars, if not all, that the rest of the New Testament is commenting and clarifying what Jesus is saying. And if you ever want to know a book that really does that well, it's the book of James. The book of James does that. And so today, what I want to talk about is, what makes the sermon good? The best sermon ever. Have you ever Googled that? I Googled that this week. Best sermon ever. And I could not believe what you find. T.D. Jake's best sermon ever. You know, Bill Hybels, best sermon ever. Rick Warren, best sermon ever. And a host of other people... Some I've never heard of. One guy, a youth minister, best sermon ever. Most downloaded sermon of all time. And it's a guy jumping up on all these teenagers telling them they're going to hell. I'm like, wow. I bet you in that room it wasn't the best sermon ever. (laughs) But everybody's like, wow, he is throwing three fits in a prayer. And that's in in the business, in the preaching business, that's what you do. You throw three fits in a prayer. You know, that's what you do. That's what they they claim you, you need to have a good sermon. I got to thinking about this. 
What is the best sermon ever? And, and I believe it to be the Sermon on the Mount. But what makes a good sermon? What makes a good sermon? And I read this this week. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, and I'm using my iPad for the first time, so get, help, help me, Lord. Okay, it's, uh, it says here, definition of a good sermon. It should, it should have a good beginning. It should have a good ending. And they should be as close as, together as possible. <laughs> I thought, and you know, I, I understand that. I understand it. Don't believe it, but I understand it. But you know, I get comments every Sunday. Man, you hit that out of the park. Oh, we're playing baseball now. Man, that was a touchdown. Okay. Uh, Thursday night, when I didn't see many from the pack, but I get it. Okay. But you know, you get this, and I'll have some people go, what were you thinking? Or they'll give you that look, the stink eye when they're walking out. You know, I mean, I get feedback all the time, and I know not every sermon's the best sermon ever. And when you say to me, that was a great sermon, that's a great sermon, and you might think you're complimenting me. And, and in a way, uh, I take it as a compliment. I'm going to share with you what I really think. If you really want to compliment me on a sermon, I'm going to share with you the secret that uh, you may not know, a trade secret, that once you figure, oh, that's what makes it a best sermon. Yeah, it makes the best sermon ever. So I got to thinking, what, does, what makes a, a good sermon? What makes it great? And I... Well, the first one I, I noticed was is this, is that it, it takes a good speaker. you got to admit, I mean, come on. There's a lot of boring people out there. Right? I'm not looking at you. <laughs> no. I'm not looking at you, Helen. You know what I'm saying? So they just, you know, some of these guys... They, you know, so what they, how's the saying go? If you if you can't strike oil in 20 minutes, stop boring. I thought, well, okay, I get it, you know. Uh, but sometimes, you know, this, I, I, and I download lots of sermons. I listen to a lot of sermons. I'm trying because when you type in best sermon ever, you get a lot of advice on how to have a great sermon. Make them cry. Make them laugh. Make them think. Make them go, huh? You know, do things like that. You know, give them a good illustration. Give them a good, give them something they'll never forget. You know, bring in a pony. I mean, do anything you can to get them to go. Oh, I get it. You know, it's a good, good sermon. Well, it starts with a good speaker. And I don't believe in boring lessons. I, I'm just not one of those guys. Uh, but I do believe it ought to be a good speaker. Look what the Bible says here. This is in Proverbs. And it says, it says this, it says, Instruction is appreciated if it is well presented. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's kind of like dinner. If it's cooked good, it tastes good, therefore it is good. But if it's just zapped in the microwave and thrown out there in 30 seconds, it's probably not as tasty, is it? No. No, and the same is true with a good sermon. When a person speaks well, when they're, when they're, when they, we look at them and we ask ourselves, are they interesting? You know, uh, um, how does he talk? How does he move? Does he smile a lot? Has he always got that scowl? You know, what's, what's, we, we judge a lot of times a good speaker based on his talk. And, but you gotta also admit, we also judge a good speaker by his walk. Some of you, May not remember this guy. He was born. You were born after, well afterwards. But I just got to say, Jim Baker, and that's enough right there, huh? Here's a guy that had this crazy ministry going, and then he gets caught up in all this immorality. And next thing you know, overnight his ministry hits the tank, and he's disqualified. 
I don't know how many times I've I've listened to I've I've talked to ministers that are trying to, that, that are overweight and they said one of the one of the topics they avoid is how to take care of your body. Why? No, who's going to listen to me? Amen. Got an awful quiet in here. But doesn't the life of the person, not just his talk, but his walk, matter to you? Absolutely. And so, a good speaker, to be a good speaker, it's not just the talk, but the walk. And Jesus was both. Amen. He was a good speaker. He he was very good at. It. In fact, look what the Bible says here in the Sermon on the Mount. It says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught differently than other folk. Why is that? Because he had the authority. He was the king of kings. Guys, this sermon on the mount is the message from the king. A king. The king. Of kings. This is not something, you know, the difference between a guy who teaches. Imagine this if Jesus came and spoke this morning and he's going to, we're going to do the sermon, we're going to do this lesson and it's his turn to talk. Wouldn't the authority just be overwhelming and the difference be overwhelming? Because you know this is the Son of God talking compared to a commentator. I'm just reflecting on what. The word, the word of God says. I'm just telling you, this is what I notice that Jesus is saying. But Jesus says, well, let me tell you, Tim, that didn't quite get your notice. I'm going to tell you myself from my own lips what I mean. You know, this has been compared to Moses coming down from the Mount Sinai to give the, to give the Ten Commandments. And this is the King, the Son of God, the King of Kings, on a mountain, sits down. By the way, back then, the speaker sat down and everybody else stood up. Next time you complain about the length of sermon, you might be glad. No, don't stand up, Ryan. You know, just remember that, hey, at least I get to sit down in my culture. And so this is the King of Kings giving these words. A fantastic speaker, a good speaker, and that's what makes his sermon a good sermon. Now, the second thing it needs is a good message. You've got to agree with that, right? Got to have a, what makes a great sermon? A good message, you know? Um, and a good lesson, see, will have good con- content. It will have good content. What are you talking about, Tim? Well, if you do a little research on how to preach to change lives, or if you're reading a book on how to speak so people will listen, they'll tell you certain things you can use, word pictures, illustrations. You know, and, and a good sermon, sometimes we'll say, oh, we've got a good movie clip going. You know, uh, Chris and Deb talking about you know having Abbott and Costello. Oh, we just roared with laughter. And at the end, they have a little clip from Cool Hand Luke where Strutter Martin says, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> he says it just really good. He won an Academy Award, by the way, in that role. And, so, and, and we're sitting there going, absolutely, what a failure. And in marriage, it's that way. In life, it's that way. And what a way to illustrate it. So we'll have a movie clip, or we'll have a skit, or we'll have a testimony. And, and sometimes, you know, nowadays it seems like we have to keep every... I've got to find a way to keep you all, you know, keep your attention. We've got to find ways to do that. Jesus used word pictures. He had no PowerPoint. His points were powerful enough. And so, and so but it takes a good message if you want a good, a good lesson or a good sermon. And um, in fact, I, what I wrote here was a good message is relatable. A good message, in other words, I can, I, it's easy to follow. I praise God 
for the, some of the men here that we have that teach so clear. They're just so clear. I, appre- I appreciate, you know, Alan's approach to teaching. It's a little different than mine. It's a little di- I, I would love to be as clear, but, I, you know, I'm a little goofy. Uh, Gary, very clear teacher, would you agree? Very clear, you know, and, you, and, and very precise and very helpful. And you've got to admit, I've had, I remember one time Willie Dale coming in and he goes, you know, Tim, I just love coming to Greater Alton Church. Why is that? He goes, well, the churches I'm used to going to, the preacher's always going, ha, ha. He says one word, blah, blah, ha, blah, blah, ha, or amen, or praise God, or what, ha. He goes, for the first time I heard something that made sense here. I go, really? He goes, yeah, and I appreciate that. You guys ever listen to radio? And I was, one time I was listening to radio uh, with, I think Nathan and I were listening to it, or, or Matthew, I can't remember, and we're listening, there's this preacher on, on the radio, and he goes, and then Jesus was standing before the crowd. And you hear an organ go, mm-hmm. <laughs> And then they brought in the paralytic, mm-hmm. <laughs> And he began to dig a hole in the roof, mm-hmm. And they lowered him down, mm-hmm. And Jesus healed him and he walked on his legs. And then Jesus said, eh. And we go through it again. Why? Because it's hard to hold your attention in this culture. The media has spoiled you rotten. Well, Jesus, what made his sermon so good was not the the buzzes and the whistles and the PowerPoint and the cool movie clip. He didn't say, hey, Peter, roll that clip from last week. No, what he did was, look what the Bible says. This is what made his message so good. It says here, the words I told you are spirit, and they, are, and they give life. What's he saying? What makes my sermon so good, Tim, is that, first of all, it's spiritual. It's from heaven. It's from God. It's eternal. And it's designed to give life. Everybody gets this idea that Christianity is trying to take things from us. Amen. Trying to take, take something from me. And Jesus said, no, I'm trying to give you life and have it to the full. A lot of people don't accept it. I don't like what you give me. I don't like the life you give me. Well, see, that's your problem, not his. And see, what makes them, his message so good is it is designed to give life. You've got to remember that when you're studying it. You've got to remember that when you're being confronted about something. You've got to remember that when you don't like something you hear. Hey, this is designed to give me life. And so, so Jesus, he, his, he, when he talks in the Sermon on the Mount, he says things like, hey, you want to know what makes you happy? You really want to know the key to happiness? Well, it's not what you think it is. It's not like the world. No, you, you've got to need God so much it's like begging on the street. If you, if you, and he says, here's another way to, to be happy. The Beatitudes, in other words. But, it, but not only does he cover stuff like that, guys, he covers moral issues. He covers moral issues. He, he, covers, he covers relationships. And see, we all have these relationships. And so Jesus, in his sermon series, touches on relationships like enemies, spouses, judging people grudges, anger, and revenge. He talks about lust. He talks about divorce. He talks about keeping promises, ethical things. And then he talks about prayer. 
So we're going to need to do that, aren't we? And that's what that's his content. And these are the things that we need to hear. And so that's why it's a great sermon. But there's a third element that I think a lot of times we overlook. You know, uh, it's funny. A lot of people, when they come to Greater Alton and they're, and, and they're guests or they come for a few weeks, I've had some people say to me, you know, you just you have a good sermon like every week and we're waiting for the shoe to fall. Well, give it time. Or we'll wait, you know, or, or uh, when's, when's something bad going to happen? You know, when's it going to, when are you going to crash? I've crashed and burned so many times. Some people, I think, come to see. Is this the Sunday he's going to go, you know, what stupid thing is he going to say today? Well, you don't have to wait long, okay? But while you're sizing me up and while your friends are sizing me up, i got news for you. I'm sizing you up, too. Because the third, the third ingredient that makes a good sermon is a good response. And guys, that's your, that's your end of this. You see, your response determines if this is a good sermon or not. Not my sermon. The Lord's sermon. Someone once said, is the sermon over? It was near the end. They heard the closing song and someone said, is the sermon over? They said, no, I think it's just beginning. Because as soon as the doors open, we're going to find out. We, Tim just gave us an introduction. Now we're going to see what the sermon's really going to say. See, you start preaching the moment the doors are open. So Monday morning when you get up and go to work, the sermon begins. Now, I wouldn't suggest you stand up on your desk and go, Welcome, everybody, to Greater Alton Church. You know, I'm Bill, and I want to talk to you about... You know, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd do that. But I'll tell you, how you live... I know it's important how I live in a community. I wouldn't want to embarrass you. I hope you don't embarrass me. I hope you don't embarrass your Jesus. Because the greatest sermon ever, the make or breaking point, is going to be determined by response. Look how Jesus says it. This is how he wraps up the sermon. Therefore, he says in verse 24. Therefore. What do you mean therefore? Well, here's what it's here for. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What's he saying? He's saying, man, your response, your response is going to make or break it. Whether this sermon's going to help you or, or not help you at all. And so I got to thinking, uh, with the time I have left, I got to thinking about this this week of how can I make the Sermon on the Mount the best sermon ever? Because we're going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount. How can we make this the best sermon ever in our lives? Because it should be. It, that, when you when we, we ought to be able to type in Google and they should say, the best sermon that's ever done anything to anybody that's had more impact on anybody in the world is the sermon from Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, how does that happen? Or how can I make that? Well, I make the Sermon on the Mount the best sermon ever first when I open my heart to God's message. I have to open my heart to... What do you mean, Tim? I'm talking about listening. Not hearing, but Listening. You know, Jesus was before Pilate, and, and they're getting into a little argument. Pilate's kind of, kind of trying to save his life, and Jesus is just being quiet. And so Pilate starts saying to him, you know, uh, your own people have brought you here. The Jews have brought you here. What's going on? And, and Jesus answers in John 18, in verse 36, it says, my kingdom doesn't belong to this world. Pilate got the idea that Jesus had a kingdom. 
And he's and, and Pilate's saying, "Why aren't your you know why are your people bringing you here? This is your kingdom." And he goes, uh, "It doesn't belong here. The, the kingdom's not here. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jews." Look what he says here in verse thirty-seven. So Pilate says, "So you are a king." You say you've got a kingdom, so that makes you a king. So you are a king. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. He replies, you're correct in saying that I'm a king. Then he says this, catch this, I've been born and I have come into the world for this reason. And what is it? To testify to the truth. Now, I want to ask you a question. So far, we see a good speaker and a good message in that passage, don't we? And look what he says about the response. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. So the Sermon on the Mount, so the Sermon on the Mount is about listening to what Jesus says. And guys, if, we, if this series is going to be, have an impact on us as a church, an impact on you as a Christian, as a disciple, you must open your heart. I'm going to listen. You know, Jesus said this one time to some people. He said, are you listening to me? Really listening? <laughs> You ever had anybody say that to you? I live with somebody that says that to me all the time. Are you listening to me? Shut the TV off. Are you listening to me? Get off the phone. Are you listening to me? Look up here. Are you listening up to listening to me? Wake up. I'm sorry I didn't I'm sorry, Denise, I dozed off. What were you saying? Ah And Jesus says, Will you listen are you really listening to me? I mean, what, is it, what are you really about? Are you about listening to the preacher at a particular church, reading a particular book and saying, that's what I'm going to listen to? That's what I'm going to go by? Or the actual words of Jesus Christ? There's so much information. Guys, I, uh, Ken Burns said uh, on David Letterman a few days ago that we are being buried in an avalanche of media information. And so much of it's wrong. So much of it's wrong. And so we have to focus on listening. He says, Jesus says, are you going to listen to me? And I hope you'll listen to Jesus over Tim during this series. I get it wrong. I don't always get it right. You know that. Oh, what was he saying there? Uh, I can mess it up. You've got to, you've got to check me out. You've got, to, you've got to double check and make sure I'm teaching the truth. Granted, I want to teach the truth. But I'm a human being. Jesus is the King of Kings. So we have to pay attention. You know, there's, there's four levels, by the way. There's four types of listeners. There's the non-listener, if you want to know these. There's a non-listener, and that's a guy who's totally preoccupied with something where he cannot hear what the person is saying. He might hear a sound, but he doesn't really hear what they're saying. We had a devotional at Forest Park at the marriage retreat. We started off there. Let's kick it off, you know, at Forest Park because the song "Meet Me in St. Louis" says, "Meet me at the fair," and it was at Forest Park, 1904 World's Fair. Sixty different countries show up to this thing because the Olympics are going on at the same time. Celebrities like John Philip Sousa was there. Thomas Edison was at this was at this World's Fair, and so was Geronimo. And I had some younger people say, "I thought that's what you said when you jumped out of a plane." There's a real person named Geronimo. What's happened to our school system? But anyway, and so we're, you know, Denise and I and, and Matt and Brian, we go and we, we, uh, we go there on Wednesday and we see the sun setting. We're thinking, you know, we need to move it up. We had it originally at 7.30. Let's move it to 7 o'clock. 
because the sun will be setting perfectly. And so we all, you know, and then they talk about storms coming. So we get there and people are wondering, are we having it or are we not? And, well, if it rains, we'll have it back at the hotel. Well, we get there and the clouds are everywhere, but there's, there's no rain yet. So we start singing, you know, and, and lightning is starting to appear in the west. Now here's Mike Denius going, shout to the Lord all the... <laughs> he's going to get electrocuted, I'm afraid, you know, because he's the highest point of the, of the devotional right now, you know. And I'm like, so two songs, Mike, I'm saving your life. Two songs. And, 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 and so I'm, and finally I get up and I go, okay, guys, here we are. And I start talking about this song, Meet Me in St. Louis. It's a sad song. And, and it's, you know, this, the wife is, is up unhappy and she goes to the fair and says, Louis, if you'll meet me in St. Louis, you know, we'll dance the hoochie coochie. You can be my tootsie wootsie. You know, if you'll just meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at the fair. You know, and I'm talking about this. This is what this, this is so cool. Think about this was here. This was here. And they had cotton candy was introduced to the masses. Dr. Pepper was introduced to the masses here. It was such an awesome place. And you know what everybody's hearing? Why? Because behind me, God's out doing me. There's only, I said, so what did you think of devotional? I remembered both points, Tim. What was the first point? What was the second point? Run! We were running to our cars. Run for your lives. The wind is blowing 50 mile an hour wind. Denise, we get in the car. Is everybody in the car? I don't know. I'm just glad to be alive. You know. We'll never forget that marriage retreat. I mean, it's just, what a spectacular thing. But see, what I'm saying is we were full of non-listeners. Everybody was preoccupied with what was going on. So you didn't quite hear what I was saying. You that kind of listener? When it comes to sermons, when it comes to hearing people talk to you and speak into your life? Now, the second level is passive listening. And basically, you hear the words, but you don't fully absorb them to understand them. I'm always here. I'm always, that's where misunderstanding happens for me on a constant basis. There's the partial listener. He pays attention to the speaker, but grasps only some of the intended message. In other words, well, Tim says, or so-and-so says, they re- you remember what you want to hear. That's a partial listener. Then there's the active listener. This is the highest level. This is a person who chooses to concentrate and wants to get everything they can, not from the, that's not the speaker, but the content. What is he really trying to say? And they seek to learn it with, listen, without distortion. They're after truth. And it's just what I said a minute ago. When Jesus said, I come here and I have to tell the truth, and those who love the truth listen to me. I'm after the truth. That's what makes it a, such a good message. That's why Jesus says, therefore, look at this passage again. Because the word hears, and if you want to circle that word, means an active listener. Not a passive, not a partial, but an active listener. Everyone who, he says, a promise. Everyone who hears these words of mine. He says, Tim, if you'll listen to me, if you'll start there, I can bless your life. It starts there. You choose. So here's the challenge this week. Here's your challenge. Your challenge is to read the Sermon on the Mount every day this week. And I would suggest you read it out loud. Listen to it on your smartphone if you want to. Have somebody else read it if you want to. Whatever you do, actively listen. 
to the greatest sermon ever and let it change you. Number two, I can make this the best sermon ever when I ask God to help me understand His message. I don't know how many times you've... Have you ever said this? I've said this. Some of this stuff is over my head. Yeah. You know, Jesus spoke on a fourth grade level. How have we complicated this? Preachers complicate the fire out of this stuff. I've, I've done it myself. And Jesus goes, it's fourth grade level. Are you guys that dumb? No. Well, maybe because we're complicating it. Yeah, we get all the Greek out and all, the, all this stuff. The only Greek I know is a guy that down on Broadway that sells a little gyro sandwich every once in a while. That's about all the Greek I know, Tim. I understand that. But can I tell you, when you feel like it's getting over your head, why not talk to the one over your head and ask him? Say, God, could you help me understand this? James says that. Anybody, he says, anybody need some wisdom? That's what he says there. It says there in James 1, do any of you need wisdom? Anybody here need wisdom? I do. So what do you do? Read more books? No. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but he's not saying read more books. Read more Bible? No. That might do more harm than good. It says ask God for it. Ask God for more wisdom. And why? He is generous and enjoys giving it to everyone. So he'll give you wisdom. God wants to give you wisdom. So pray, ask God. Ask God, would you help me? You know, Jesus says in his own, in his own sermon, he says in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. He says, everyone that asks, it will be given. You say, well, Tim, remember, it's got to be within the will of God. Well, I know he wants to give me wisdom. That's within the will of God. So ask away. Right? If you're, if, it's in over your, if you're in over your head, ask the one that's over you. God, how do I get this? How do I understand this? David did this. I am your servant. Give me understanding so that I may know your teachings. Guys, I want you to know, I do this and it works. I'm, I constantly run up against moments where I'm confused. Why is this happening to me? And what does this verse really mean? And do I need? is this how I should apply it? Anybody else like that? You know, don't we, we're all like, yeah, I know Alan and I are. We're, we're constantly going, what? What? And, and you know, Gary's the one who will say, why don't we pray? Huh? No, we need to talk, to talk it to death. No, we need to pray, Tim. And so even your elders get together and we'll sit there and we'll pray over something that's confusing us, something that's just discouraging us, something we just can't quite get. I, I don't like being in the dark, do you? But there's always a little darkness lurking in there. And how do I get out of that? I pray. And you know, there's times when I've prayed, God, I don't even know where to start, like with a devotional, with a sermon series, with a lesson. And I'll say, God, how do I start it? And I'll get an email from somebody that'll say, here's a way. Oh, I don't read that. Tim, I just answered your question. I just answered, you asked, and I, here's a whole email. You know, here's a guy who walks up to me and says, have you looked at Warren Wearsby? Bob Hawkins says, have you looked at Wearsby? He's got a great outline on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. God answering the, is he answering my prayer? You know, guys, sometimes he'll answer the prayer when I wake up in the morning and I'll get this overpowering thought that says, this is what you should do. I'm saying do that. Pray hard. Pray often. When you're, when you're confused, ask God for wisdom. Why? Because he says, 
If you ask, it will be given to you. It's within the will of God, so you don't have to worry. If you're asking God for a rocket, I want a rocket. Well, go become an astronaut, and maybe that will work. But you know, that, that may be the will of God. But, man, the word of, ask for wisdom and understanding. Read Proverbs 2. Write that down. Read Proverbs 2. It says it. So call out for understanding, and then you find the knowledge of God. It works. So what's the challenge? Pray through the Sermon on the Mount. I want to ask you this week, maybe through this series, pray through the Sermon on the Mount. How do I do that, Tim? Just use it as a prayer list. I'll tell you, when you start praying through the Beatitudes, Lord, help me be poor in spirit. Help me be a beggar for bread. So desperate... So de- I saw somebody in St. Louis under the McKinley Bridge had a need, need money for food, begging for food, panhandler. And that's the picture. Next week I want to talk about living like you've got nothing to lose. That's what I want to talk about next week. Poor, being poor. What's that mean? Poor in spirit. Having such a need for God that nothing else can fill it. Nothing else can satisfy it. How do I get there, Tim? We're going to talk about that next week. But pray over Pray through the attitudes. Give me these attitudes, Lord. Help me hunger and thirst after righteousness. Give me a pure heart, because you can use all the pure words you want, guys. If your heart's not pure, God sees that. And what do I do with lust? What do I do with divorce? How do I live before, before divorce, after divorce, during divorce? How do, I handle, how do I handle a grudge, anger, resentment? Jesus covers that. Pray, over, pray through that. And here's the third. Here's the third thing I can do to make the Sermon on the Mount the greatest sermon ever. I can do, when I, and it's when, this is when it happens, when I apply God's message. This is so simple. You go, man, Tim. But it's, guys, Mike and Kim last night made a strategic point that I thought was incredible. When you look at the wise man, and this is what Mike and Kim were saying, when you look at the wise man who built his house on a rock, it wasn't that he built it. They talked about the arch. The arch is too... Some of you grew up here, so I wasn't around to see this. I was on the other side of the state. We got a few news reels, you know, or people would talk about the arch being built when I was a kid. But the two independent pieces are built at the same time. You know that if you're from here. And it's that last piece that's put in place. And the, 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 the thing that I thought was very interesting was is they showed a picture of the foundation. It's 60 feet thick. Deep is the foundation. And Mike was saying that the dome is 50 feet. So imagine the top behind those panels. That's 50 feet. It's 10 feet deeper. That's how deep, thick the foundation is. And we think, yeah, okay, I want to build a foundation also so I can live this life for Christ. So I'm just going to fill it with Scripture after Scripture after Scripture because that's what you do. A wise man listens and and he builds this foundation. No, it doesn't say that. It helps. He says when you obey, you you build that foundation. And they both hammered this point heavy. My wife leaned over to me and said, notice that the last piece that Mike was telling us that they had to pry the, the arch apart four feet to get that piece to fit in. But there's never a, a lesson there that we must make room for God or it's going to fall apart. That it's the piece, the missing piece, that holds us completely together. In a marriage, 
with a relationship with God. And Denise pointed out, notice that last piece is triangular shaped. It's triangular shaped. I said, what are you talking about? Father, Son, Holy Ghost? Talking about you and me and God, Tim. Talking about that last piece is the most important piece. And how does that piece get put in place? When I make room, and I make room with obedience, repentance and obedience. I, can't, I, I thought it was a profound point. I must, guys, listen. I've got to make, you've got to make during this sermon series, we've got to make obedience a top priority. We got, we got, it's not about, oh, I got to learn, I'm going to learn some deep truth. No, I need to start applying a truth. Start getting it. Start doing it. Start using it. I don't need more scriptures. I, someone once said, it's not that we need, we need more scriptures explained to us. We, we have plenty already. We understand. We ought to be doing them. So apply. I want to encourage you to apply the Word of God. This will make or break you. Earlier this week, in the daily text, I read these words from Ezekiel. And see if they don't sound like they are from today. God is talking to Ezekiel and says, So they come as though they are sincere and sit before you listening, but they have no intention of doing what I tell them to. They talk very sweetly about loving the Lord, but with their hearts, they are loving their money. You're very interesting to them. Like someone who sings lovely songs with a beautiful voice or plays well on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't pay any attention to it. God's telling Ezekiel, you've got a bad sermon. What? It's a bad sermon. Am I a good speaker? Excellent speaker, Ezekiel. And you've laid on your side to make a point for almost a year. You know, you've stared at frying pans. You've done all kinds of crazy stuff to get the attention you, you make believe you're going through a wall. You're, di- you're doing all these. You're, you're a walking object. I said, incredible speaker. But you have a bad sermon. Does the, does the message suck? Is that what the problem is? Am I, is it just bad, a bad message? Absolutely not. They come and they listen to you like you're from Vegas. You sing good. It's a great song. They love hearing it. Well, what's ruining the sermon? They won't do it. And guys... I put a lot of work in my sermons. I put a lot of work in my sermons. I agonize over these things. The hardest thing for me to do, you say, I don't believe you. Well, you better believe me. The hardest thing for me to do is put together sermons. If there was a way I could just work in a church and not do sermons, I'd be happy as a puppy. You say, but don't you like preaching? I love preaching. But it's the hardest thing to do. I put hours in. I I spent two hours looking for one verse. And I went, you know, it may not be there, Tim. Maybe you need to move on. Like I got some OCD thing going. I'm trying to find a clip. Why? Because I wanted to change somebody's life. I put a lot of time in these lessons. How much time do you put in them? Is the only time you're putting in the sermon when I spit it out in about 45 minutes? That's what's so frustrating. 
Hours and hours, days, months, praying, thinking, trying to strategize. How are we going to do this? Listening to other guys, boring and exciting, goofy and great. And I'm going, it's so hard. I'm wore out at coming Sunday and like a machine gun. That was it. Compared to all that time? It's not fair. That's the way it is. How much time do you put in this sermon? How much time will you put in this sermon? And I'm not even Jesus. What about Jesus? Makes the trip from heaven to earth, shares his values. Are you just going to go, well, that's entertaining, and applaud? Sing some more. I like the way you sing. But will you pay attention to it? Will you do more than hear it? Guys, this is critical. Someone said, how long should a sermon be? How long should a good sermon be? And someone said, well, according to Jesus, a lifetime. Y'all concerned about how long I preach? You better get concerned about how long you preach. How long is a sermon going to be in your life? Is it going to last till you get out the door in your car and you're going to go chewing on some animal? I'm going to chew on a dead chicken. I don't know. What are you doing this afternoon? I don't know. Eat more chicken. Or is it going to be, I really want to change. I want to get somewhere with this. Because these words were designed to give life. I've got to stop. Look at these two passages. Jesus, this is Jesus saying this in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, um, he says these two things I wanted to point out. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's a promise to you and I. To hunger and thirst after righteousness. What's righteousness? Well, there's a lot of opinions about what righteousness is. It's what's right. Well, yeah. It's doing what's right. Yeah. It's doing what God wants. Yeah, it does, it's doing what pleases God, absolutely. And if you hunger for this and thirst for this, the Bible promises you'll be full of His righteousness. He says, he says pray about it even. Look at this next passage. He says, when you pray, your kingdom come, pray your will be done. What do you mean? By somebody else? I want the will to be done. Make sure Tim does it, Lord. I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate the prayers, and I'm praying the same prayer too. But are you praying, Lord, I want that will to be done in my life? Your kingdom, I want it, it's here, so help me build it here. Help me build it, and I build it one brick at a time through obedience. Even Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, look at this passage. This is the one, this is the, this is the passage that scared me to death when Denise and I were studying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Application. Application. I don't understand, Tim. I don't understand why God isn't blessing me. Well, maybe you're not applying the Word of God. I apply the Word of God. You applied it once. I did more than once. Twice. I'm learning this after 30-some years of being a Christian that... You have to apply it all the time. It's, I need painted again and again. I need to apply another coat of obedience all the time. 
And it's at different places in my life, in different seasons. And I know for you, it may be in a different spot than it is for me. probably is. But it's something. It's a way of life. And I want to encourage you. Eternity, guys, hinges on, are you doing the will of your Father? You know, uh, we talked about this. Uh, someone said this over the weekend. You know, you, you become a Christian, you get baptized. It's just beginning. And some of us here, we've been, we're crusty old Christians. We don't obey like we used to. Like we've got less to obey. I think, uh, again, Mike shared a great passage. Kim read it last night. In First John, it says, if, if you're going to claim to know Jesus, you must walk as he did. He's saying, if I'm going to claim to be a Christian, and I'm claiming to be a Christian, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a Christian. Well, Jesus says, that's great, Tim. Then you walk. You don't stand. Don't you stand on the promises? That's a song. Yeah, you stand, but you walk with me. And I want you to go this way today, this year, this time in your life, this season in your life. Follow me. I've never been 58 I've never been retired. We're, we're coming, Tim. You've already been in the 20s. You've already done your 30s and 40s. And you're about right through your 50s. Now we're going to do something else. You're going to let me do that? Guys, is, is God trying to adjust your life? Yeah. <laughs> All the time. All the time. Are you fighting it? Why not let him, why not let him have his way? Obedience. Obedience. That's what builds a foundation. So what's the challenge? I want to challenge you to attend a group to help you apply the Sermon on the Mount. I want to ask you to get serious about attending a small group, a discipleship group. They're the same thing. And, and let people help you. Get some, you know, some of you guys don't go to your... your, your you've got a discipleship group and you, you hit and miss. You hit and miss. I remember when we had this big controversy. Oh, how come we're not having small groups? You know, I think we ought to have small groups. Why are we going to these discipleship groups? And it's by the same people who hit and miss in small groups are hitting and missing in a discipleship group. Stop whining about that and say, you know what? I'm going to get serious about getting some people around me that can help me apply this. So this sermon can be the best sermon ever. Well, there it is. That's the lesson.